You are tuned in to Making a Difference with Melissa Billy Clark. This show shares compelling stories and experiences of well-known faces and everyday people who change the world in big and small ways. Get ready to open your mind and your heart with Melissa Billy Clark. Hi, thank you for tuning in to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Melissa Billy Clark. It's important that we take care or pay close attention to our senior parents and relatives. This episode, we speak to Avonlea Christine. Avonlea created an app, Avonlea Care, an app that would assist families and caretakers to keep track, stay in touch, provide important information such as schedules of medication and stay on top of doctor information. Avonlea, we are delighted to have you on today. And boy, I wish this was around when my beloved parents were here. So we thank you so much for joining us today. You're beautiful inside and out. Please tell us why did you start this uh, application? Yeah, um, you know, this, this goes back to when I was 10 years old and I was living in Montana. Um, I watched my mother, my grandma, my aunts, my uncles uh, care for my grandfather when he got sick, he got Lewy bodies dementia and Parkinson's, um, when I was 10 years old. So from 10 to 18, they cared for him. And then in 2008, when I was 18, he passed away. And I remember being in the room in the long-term care facility and watching them um, in that process. It, a lot of fractured communication. Had he taken his meds? Was he unhappy? You know, leading up to this, um, you know, he was lonely. There were grandkids who didn't get to see him. There were siblings that couldn't get in in time to see him. And I remember just that image in my mind thinking this could be so different. But this was, you know, before we had phones and iPads and, and technology everywhere to connect us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, fast forward, I'm going to school, I'm in nursing school, I'm working ironically in nursing homes as a CNA when I was going through clinicals and um, same thing, you know, if a family would come into the nursing home and they would just leave an iPad and be like, well, this is how we're going to stay connected to dad. But, and then they would leave and then the grandpa would, or dad would pick up the iPad and most seniors don't even know where the app store is. Yeah. And so the adoption of technology just wasn't there. So I, I had a, a career in New York City in my 20s in tech, in senior care technology specifically. And as I was working, there were still no solutions available to family caregivers. So if you and I were siblings, for us to just go to the app store, download one application, not 10, one that handles medication, doctor's appointments, you know, if grandkids were in the picture, FaceTiming in, sending in pictures, videos, it being a private network, not having your data sold everywhere, no ads, just an all-in-one solution for families. And the only thing on the market I was seeing was the life alert button for families. And meanwhile, we're you know launching people in the space and we're, you know, we're more connected with celebrities and Instagram influencers. Yes. And we know what they do on a daily basis than we are our own aging parents. I was like, this is not okay. This picture can change. And so that's why I, you know, started what is now Avonlea Care. Um, it was a long journey to get here. It was a lot of tw 12 years of kind of just seeing what was going on. But then in my heart, I knew that I was, I had to do this. 
I'd like to show the audience how easy it is to navigate through the application. Please take a look. Hello, and welcome to Avonlea. Before you get started, let's learn how you can provide better care for your family. Avonlea has four pages, home, chat, health, and schedule. Let's take a quick look at each one of these pages. Through notification cards, the home page helps you stay on top of your care receiver's missed medications, health goals, and events you should be made aware of. You can see and interact with your family's social feed and view summaries of the important information about each care receiver in your family. The homepage also allows you to manage your family's permissions and invite new family members. To assist in coordinating care and community, the chat page lets you have conversations directly with a family member or a group of family members. You can even make phone or video calls directly from a conversation. The health page lets you see daily health information for each care receiver. The schedule page lets you assist your care receivers in scheduling medications and appointments and helps you keep track of what medications your care receivers are taking and when. Now, you and I spoke earlier and I told you of my experience with my parents, especially my mother who had cancer uh, for two years. This application would have been such a stress reliever for myself and my siblings because they would have a break. They would give me a break, you know, uh, taking care of my mom. But I had to go through a whole list of everything that needed to happen for her you know, medications, uh, what time she needs to eat. So, you know, that was, and the worst was when I went to doctors because I was so upset. My mom was just sitting there, didn't know what was going on because she was so sick. And I would sit there and I would be so upset of what I was hearing that I would forget to write down details. So mm -hmm. I really wish that this was around when she was around. And we thank you so much for creating this, Avonlea. Thank you so much. So how is Avonlea Care different than what's currently on the market? Yeah, that's a great question. So how it's different is the, the best story before going into that that I tell is when I was going, when I was in the nursing home and when I saw the family put the iPad in the grandpa's hand or their dad's hand, and then they left and they said, okay, you're going to use this to like check that you've taken a medication. But again, going back to that, there's so many different apps. There's FaceTime here. There's a wait app here. There's a med app here. Well, they wouldn't use it. And I remember seeing that, but I remember if we worked with seniors and they knew they were going to get to their grandchild on the other side of that, like whether that was a video call, FaceTime, some type of chat communication, or one of their children, they wanted to learn and they wanted to engage. So I knew that if I could build something that family was at the center of it, that would essentially drive the adoption of the health. And so what makes Avonlea different is it's an all-in-one care solution where we have combined the social and the health aspect in it. And, um, you know, this has really, really worked well for seniors, especially my grandmother, because I essentially now who used to care for my grandpa who passed, I now am caring, helping my mom care for my grandma while I'm here in New York and they're all in Montana. And I built it for her because I saw it happening again. And so, you know, with her, she had not ever used an iPad. She had an iPad, but I think she used it again for FaceTime. She never had an iPhone. Yeah. And within six months of using the Avonlea app, she was on all platforms. Oh, she wow. constantly communicates with all of us grandkids. 
um, wherever we are in the US and the world on the private family feed. There's no ads. It's super easy for her to use. And then exactly what I knew would happen for my parents. What I saw with my grandpa a long time ago where there was this fractured communication like you probably had amongst your siblings on yeah. what, where, what did mom's doctor say? What, what were, what are her meds? Why have they changed? Um, we can, you can see biometrics. So location, steps, heart rate. It's like this all in one kind of like report card for the siblings to say, oh, we're all on the same page. We can see mom's home. We can see she's happy. We can see she took her meds. And now we can know what to do as caregivers, family caregivers to best care for her, whether you're across the street or a few states away. What's the most important feature yes. on Avonlea Care? I would say the um, care management, care coordination amongst adult children. So this, the adult children that are caring, like we have this invisible glue between us on the Avonlea app that is gonna report to us if mom is not feeling well, if she missed her meds or she needs something. And then this is really exciting, um, coming up, I can't say quite yet, um, but coming up in um, around the holidays, we have partnered with a large uh, retailer in the United States um, to make sure that seniors and family caregivers have the ability to get their aging parents food and medication delivered to their house through the Avonlea app. And so I think that that feature and, and the ability for family caregivers and care coordination to not only manage everything they can in health and social and the tech, but then get them food and medication in the home. Because as we saw in the pandemic, we realized overnight we did not have the solutions to remotely care for an aging parent. We didn't have a way to get food, medication, what they needed to remain healthy and safe at home. So, you know, that care coordination piece moving into what we're really going to advance that to come the holidays, I think is going to be a really sticky factor for us and really help families communicate and care for their parents remotely. So you're constantly advancing with this app, constantly thinking of new ways to grow and, and do new things. That's amazing. Yeah. I have some big ideas. I'm sure that when my co-founder watches this, <laughs> he's going to be like, my goodness. <laughs> but uh, there's always some ideas that are coming and going and they're like, okay, let's just focus on this. But yes, I, I, I see so many areas in the senior care market and especially in family caregiving um, that need to be addressed that just yeah. aren't. What's the challenges of uh, taking care of a senior parent or a relative? Yeah, I mean, I just know from a grandchild to grandmother. Yeah. But I have firsthand experience in watching my mother and my aunts and right now my dad go through this with his dad and his mom. All of my grandparents in Montana um, are getting ready to move into nursing homes or they're making that transition. And um, the, the challenge for them is still that the same, the fear, what are they gonna do? How are they gonna do this? How are they gonna make mom or dad as comfortable as they can be, whether it's in the home or if it's in a nursing home? How do we not make them feel lonely? How do we still stay engaged in their day when they're gonna have to be somewhere else or maybe be more isolated and we can't be there as much because 
they're aging and their health is starting to decline. And so I think the most challenging thing, and honestly, Melissa, you would know probably a little bit more than than myself because you cared for your mother. Yeah. I've been a part of the caregiving team, but I haven't been the direct daughter yet. Um, but the challenges that I've seen just in my own family with my parents and theirs, it's, it's been really tough. It's been really tough. And when my grandmother went into um, over COVID, her health declined yeah. rapidly. And I believe her health declined because she was lonely, because she didn't have physical touch. And um, I went back and she they had moved her into a nursing home. But the, the beautiful thing about what Avonlea has done in our family, the, that this application is, she used it in the home on one device. She moved into a nursing home. She used it on two devices. And we communicate on this every single day. Actually, after this call, we have a FaceTime on it. So oh, how nice. No. <laughs> how nice. How mm -hmm. does it feel, Avonlea, to be so far away from home, knowing that, you know, Grandma, they're going through all this? Um, how do you cope with that? Because there's a lot of people who come to New York, they want to start their dreams, they want to, you know, you're from Montana. So what advice do you give to people who have family so far away, um, who are going through medical issues? That's a great question. Um, you know, work is important, but it's never, it's, it should never be above your family, in, in my opinion. And, um, you know, especially in a culture like New York City, where it's just so high like pace and going and going and everyone's working so hard and yeah. um that's the beauty of new york city it's a place where you can start a company there's so much opportunity here but i've always made the time to call and i've always made the time to go back um and if i can't go back i i really make the time to, to do a lot of facetime because I don't know, there's just something about like, I never FaceTime my grandparents really until, you know, COVID hit and we, we built this and it was, this is the only way we communicate now. So it just feels so much more personal. To me, it's all about comfort of my loved one. I've seen your testimonials and how does it feel to know that these people, this could, this provides comfort to people. They write such amazing, nice things, and it's been helping out their family so much, which means so much because this is very stressful to take care of a loved one. I know that I went through it with my uh, mother, but you know what? I do it all over again, but it's very stressful, especially when it's on, sometimes it's on one person. So mm -hmm. how does it make you feel knowing that, that this is helping a lot of people? It it feels good. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, this is what I've always wanted. I think from the time I was a little girl, I just, I think my mother would say this too. I just always wanted to do something that helped people, especially, you know, I went, I was in high school. I was not popular. I was not cool. I was such an outsider. And I was, you know, I mean, I don't know if I've never really met a, a girl who's like, oh, I loved high school. I'm like, what? Are you crazy? And like, <laughs> I mean, girls were so like mean, but uh, like, I've always like a little bit of an outcast, which, you know, it's funny because it's really played into what I do now as, as an adult, because, you know, the senior population, they've, it's like when you get older, it's our society makes you less valuable. Yes. And you're, you're, you're a burden. And, you know, you're just kind of shoved aside. And, you know, if all the pain and the heartache 
like of going through that kind of stuff and as a younger person, yeah. it, it was worth it because now I get to look into the eyes of, of seniors who can, can tell me that they're happy today because of, of our technology. Yeah. And so it was definitely all worth it. I'd do it all over again because that's what I want for every family. That's what I want for every senior. How has digital technology improved um, elder health, elder care? Well, I mean, the pandemic drove about a decade's worth of digital tech in just like the last two years. Yeah. Um, you know, essentially nursing homes became unsafe at the time. Um, the healthcare systems were, you know, physically overrun. And um, it was very apparent that in a very short period of time, we needed the right technology in the home to remotely monitor seniors. Um, it needed to be easy for them to use. And it, just like in the business world, where look at how we're communicating really now, Zoom. I mean, Zoom stock, everything went up. <laughs> everything, yes. these companies were just exploded because we needed the technology to be able to work remotely. And in the senior world, we needed the technology to be able to keep seniors at home um, healthy in place. So I, I really see over the next couple of years, you know, and I hope, you know, in a year from now, if we're speaking or in a couple of years that we look at um, Avonlea Care as really, you know, the way when, I, when families hear the name Avonlea, I hope they just associate it with aging. Mom's starting, you know, to get old, dad's starting to age, he needs help with his meds, like, let's start using Avonlea. I want Avonlea to be that solution in the home that families use to and trust to just care for their aging parent. Uh, what does the future hold for senior care in America, Avonlea? <sighs> That's such a big question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to narrow it down to what does the future hold for senior care in America with, with family caregivers? Um, because that's what I, I know pretty well. I mean, the senior care system and insurance and like health systems, totally different ballgame. Um, but, you know, I think with family caregivers, I think that what we are going to see is families wake up to the fact that we just need to do a better job caring for the seniors in our life, whether that's an aging parent, if it's a friend or if it's a neighbor, and we are going to adopt the, the solutions to do that. And we're gonna be more engaged in seniors' lives um, because as we've, as you know, coming out of this pandemic and you know, we're still in it, you know, I think it's really opened the eyes to a lot of children and grandchildren that you know, we need to be more connected, we need to be closer and we need to be there for them. So that's what I see happening. I see a lot of families getting on board. Avonlea, Christine, we thank you so much for being with us, for making a difference in this world. Um, I have all the information here. Please head over to avonleacare.com and you can go on your phones, iPhone, Android. It's all on the phone system. They can go and uh, get the app. Is that right? Yes, it's on um, Google Play and it's on the App Store. Yes. Okay, great. We thank you mm -hmm. so much for your time. Yeah, thank thanks you. for having me. In times of illness, we are drawn closer to those in need and endure tragedy through gestures of compassion and concern. The global calamity of COVID-19 has not just brought death, it has also separated us from each other and from those we love. 
As a hospice physician who has spent decades at the bedside of dying patients, I have come to realize that no matter how physically alone patients are, few of them die alone. End of life is more than a medical endeavor. Dying is more than the physical manifestations we observe. When medicine can no longer defy illness, nature assumes its rightful place, and dying becomes what it has always been, a human experience. It is not just the closing of a life, but a meaningful vantage point that draws people inward. Towards the end of life, people often recall the best parts of living. For some, this occurs consciously through conversations. For others, it comes unconsciously through dreams. The dying process is about progressively deeper sleep and alternating levels of alertness. These states are not moments of confusion or delirium. In our studies, the dying described them as comforting, subjective experiences that bring clarity and insight and a peaceful end of life. These experiences include vivid dreams. Hi, thank you so much for joining us. On this episode of Making a Difference, we sit down with Dr. Christopher Kerr, who is the CEO and Chief Medical Officer at Hospice Buffalo and author of Death is But a Dream. Dr. Kerr, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. I'm like over the moon about this. I would like to start to read a passage from your introduction from this uh, book, which thank you so much for sending this over to me. Uh, this is from the introduction of Death is But a Dream. Tom was only 40 when he arrived at Hospice Buffalo with end-stage AIDS. Unlike most of my patients, he was not surrounded by loved ones. Not a soul came to visit ever. He was rather stoic. So I wondered if the absence of visitors was his choice rather than an indicator of his loneliness. Maybe that was his way of refusing of giving death an audience. That's brilliant writing. Like that's- yes, Thank you. That's, you know, it's very relatable to people now and last year uh, with COVID. Every, you know, a lot of people, well, most people died by themselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you feel? Sorry. I think the point is that, you know, people die as they live. And, um, you know, maybe that's just we all envision or want to surround people in their time of need. But mm -hmm. maybe some people um, want to do it in, in the privacy of their own thoughts. And a lot of people don't make good patients. They don't want to be seen um, in that way. Yeah. That's right. So I invited you um, on after watching you on Netflix's documentary, <clears throat> Surviving Death. Uh, not only do I have you here for our beautiful audience, but selfishly myself, I told you that my mother passed away here in hospice at home where she wanted to be. We had classical music going. It was the most a uh, beautiful yet surreal moment in my life. Uh, can you explain to our audience what hospice care is, please? Sure, well, ho hospice is actually a lot of things. It's a philosophy of care, mm -hmm. um, which is basically that people need to have dignified, compassionate care. They need to be cared for in totality, mm -hmm. psychologically, physically. Um, they need to be cared for in the context of their family where they live, their life. Um, so that's kind of the philosophy. It's also often a place, and um, it's also a medical, a Medicare benefit that everybody's entitled to, which is that when you are have a prognosis of six months or less to live, right. you are categorically eligible to receive hospice, the benefit of hospice, which is actually the richest benefit in healthcare. Right. 
So, you know, in my experience with speaking with several hospice caretakers when they were here uh, taking care of my mother, a lot of people are very iffy about their loved ones dying in their home. Do you experience that a lot? Yes, um, uh, but we experience more of the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't generally want institutionalized death. They don't want to die um, in a nursing home or a facility or a hospital. Um, they want to die where they're most comfortable, and that's where that's typically in their home, surrounded by their loved ones. It's the distinction between treating dying as a medical paradigm and versus the closing of a life. Right. What is your interpretation of death, Dr. Kerr? Hmm. Um, my interpretation of death. I like to think of it as more of a human event. Um, than organ failure. Uh, I think we've so over-medicalized what is actually natural. Um, I don't view it quite the same way as I used to after all these years. I think that uh, it's inherently more peaceful and less dramatic and nature does most of the heavy lifting. Uh, so you're constantly yeah. surrounded by people who pass away. Do you ever develop like personal relationships with them where you're saying to yourself, man, that one really hurt? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like life. Um, yeah. And there's people that are more relatable to you. There's people who you're awe-inspired by. There's people whose um, death is, has a different level of tragedy, like in a young parent or child. Right. Um, where it's harder to see grace or justice, um, you know, and then there's also, um, there's just people who you just naturally like, uh, you know, who are funny, relatable, warm, um, generous. And to do this work well, you have to learn to know patients as people. And so you're meant to, this whole idea of uh, professional objectivity and distance is 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 nice in theory but it's actually not what it, this is about i think we're meant to share something with one another uh, and that's humor uh, and that's sadness and that's all of those things so getting close i think is part of the equation yeah so nice I, I like your compassion i like watching you on uh on these programs and speaking with these patients because you do have a lot of empathy you know, I know that you're a doctor and you go through this every day and we'll discuss that a little bit later, but um, you have such a nice warm feeling about you. That's so comforting. I could imagine somebody, you know, uh, transferring to the other side being, you know, sitting with you. Uh, so thank you for making a yeah. difference in people's lives. Thank you, sir. Uh, so tell us about the research that you do with your team. Sure. Um, I, I guess it was, uh, I started doing this work kind of by accident in 99. Yeah. And uh, I learned very quickly from my colleagues that people were having these inner experiences. So there's what we observe of dying, but then there's the experience and there's a subjective element of what people um, are going through. And they were often having these inner experiences. Mm. Um, I mean, dying naturally is a different vantage point, right? And it changes your perspective. You're naturally going to look back on life and it changes your perceptions. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened was I, uh, I was trying to teach other doctors, students and residents, the importance of what the patient was going through. Okay. And uh, I would tell them you know, that they're often having these very meaningful experiences at the end of life and everyone would say, well, there's no evidence for it. 
because we live in an evidence-based time. And when you looked in the literature, it was, it's always been talked about in the humanities throughout history. Um, on the medical side, there was mostly surveys of doctors and nurses talking about this or case reports, but right. nobody had done anything rigorous. So that's why we did the research, which is basically because we were pissed off trying to get people to recognize this as important. And um, so what we did is we quantified it. We asked people with a survey instrument mm -hmm. every day um, for weeks leading up to death, and then eventually months leading up to death. And we're just asking them what they experienced. Are you having dreams? Are they intense? Did it, and we asked them to grade the realism, the, whether it was comforting or not, what they were seeing or feeling. And then more open-ended questions, like how was this interpreted, that kind of thing. Right. So a few things with my personal experience here with mom. Um, I remember she woke up one day and she said that she had a dream that she died. And she thought she was dead when she woke up, but then she saw me. Uh, are these people really dreaming or is, do you think that that's their reality? That's a great question. Mm. We we say um, dreams because that's the only nomenclature reference point we have. But if we actually listen to our patients, what they tell us is a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One is I don't normally dream or I don't remember my dream. Or they say, no, no, you don't understand. This is very different. And when we measure realism, so we did that on a mm -hmm. zero to 10 scale, how realistic was it? It's closest to 10, the most realistic. So to them, it feels virtual, it feels lived, like it actually happened. Right. So the morphine and lack of oxygen that they're experiencing at that time, does that affect your research in any way or is it helping? That, that's a great question. No, no, no. Mm. It's really, really important to say that. So these are university approved studies. So people have to sign consent. They have to have witnesses. They have to read a heavy document okay. and we have to rule out for confusion. So we screen people and they look like you and me. So, and we're not talking about the moments before death where oxygen is compromised or whatever. We're talking, a lot of these people are living alone, they're driving, um, you know, they're not functional. So one of the reasons why we film them, mm -hmm. we film them because people would make assumptions about what they looked and sounded like. They would think they were feeble-minded. And, and so that's what we did is we actually captured them on film for the sole purpose of clarifying who these people were. Mm -hmm. And which is funny because that ended up being part of a, a PBS documentary is the footage that we actually ended up doing many years ago. Right. Yeah, no, not confused. I think I saw that, yeah. yeah. Very interesting, all of your, if you go on YouTube, um, is it the Hospice Buffalo where you can see all the YouTube videos that you guys put up? No, it's, it's, our, it's my website, so it's Dr. Dr. Christopher with a C, Kerr, K E R R dot com. But there's a uh, PBS World documentary coming up April 15th and 16th, and that's dedicated to this. And you see all the videos, the patients and videos. But if you go to my site, it's really important because yeah. it, I can't do it justice. You really have to watch the patients and their families, doctor. That's right. Yeah. Now, um, what do you think your peers think about this? I know you touched upon that before, but your peers, I mean, do they, are they of interest of what you're doing? Do you ever get criticism? Because you are in science and this is kind of tapping into spirituality. Yeah, you know, it depends on who the audience is. It's very funny. If you are talking to nurses, yeah. um, all you look at the audience and they're shaking their head, yeah, you're telling them nothing you don't. So the closer you are to care and to the patient, the more this is in your world and you just, you know this in your bones. Mm -hmm. 
doctors who are step away from the bedside and often sign off off the patient once they're no longer treatable are less familiar and less they've experienced in their personal life. So I see the full gamut, but I can tell you that um, people, uh, people who are at the bedside know this and you're not really telling them anything you don't know. Right, right. So when we found out that my mother was going into hospice care, she was a lot, of, very much in pain because the chemotherapy stopped. So it was kind of like a relief for both of us. And in a way, it felt as if, you know, hospice came in, they brought oxygen, they brought this, they brought Komodos, and it was like a whole day event. And I remember looking at her and she looked at me and she goes, it's time. It was almost as if I was packing up her bags for her to go on a vacation. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was the most oddest, oddest, odd experience that I've ever had in my life. So can you, I don't remember much, right? So I kind of blacked out during that time because my whole purpose was making sure that she was comfortable during her transition, right? Uh, I didn't think about myself. So what goes through the mind of a caretaker? Do you know as a physician? Well, I... I, I, I... Uh, caretaker or the patient? The caretaker. You know, I think um, I think we know so little about, we're told so little about what to expect at the end of life for a loved one. Yes. So if you're coming from a hospital, you, you'll know the price of coffee and where to park, but you don't know how your loved one's going to die. Sure. So what you do is that void is filled with fear. So typically caregivers are fearful. What if my person seizes or bleeds out or screams in pain? You, you know, and the, the anticipated fear is worse than actually what happens. Mm-hmm. Patients themselves are usually fully informed. It's their body. It's their experience. Um, I don't see people not knowing that they're dying. Um, they're self-informing all the time. And maybe part of the way they do this is through these dreams and visions is there's awareness. So they tend to find more comfort and peace than we expect. And caregivers, unfortunately, who are left uncared for and unguided um, are left really on a shelf, um, scared. Yes. I mean, you framed it up perfectly. Your worry was your mom's comfort. What somebody should have said to you was not to worry, we can manage the pain. Yes, well, that's exactly what happened uh, with hospice. It it was almost as if uh, wings were coming out when they were at my door. And I was taking care of my mom. They took care of me. You know, they they gave me information up to date. They even knew when she was going to die from the time. And and I saw the whole thing happen in front of me. Um, I want to just ask you one quick question. And I think I asked somebody this and they didn't know what to say. But when I saw my mother take her last breaths, I guess it's apnea you know, where they're taking their last breath. Do they, they have any idea of what's going on? No, at, at, that, at that level, right towards the end, um, mm-hmm. it, it, I can't imagine they do. Just the level of oxygenation is so low. Um, it, it, it's almost reflexive breathing. There's this kind of heave and, yes. and it's not conscious breathing. So, um, no, I think they're, they're generally in a, in a much deeper state of sleep than we realize, yeah. And um, just like you said, with this gentleman, Tom, my mother, my only job, my mom used to ask me every night, please sleep with me. And I was so scared, Dr. Kerr, I didn't want to wake up to a dead body. I was petrified. So I said, God, I will do your work. I will take care of her. I don't need to eat anything. Uh, Just please don't let me wake up with her passed away. Let people be here. 
and he, my, my prayers were answered. So after I left the room, my sister was holding her hand. And after I left the room, that's when she died. So do you think that they have uh, control over when they die? You know how some people say, as soon as I got there, they passed away. Or you hear a lot of stories about that? Yeah. Um, you know, it, there, there's truth to it. And, and, and the best way to describe it is this, is that um, it's hard to die unless you get to deep sleep. And you don't see people who are awake talking and then unless they have sudden death, which is rare. And mm -hmm. you have to be, people think of it in terms of being physically comfortable to let go. It's actually being more psychologically comfortable and at peace. Right. The best way to describe it is that let's say you're a parent and your kids are out on a Friday night and you want to go to bed and go to bed at 10, but you can't really sleep until you hear that door shut and you know they're home. Right. It's kind of the same way. You have to be, um, you have to be put back together. You have to be able to be at peace to go to deep sleep and to relax, to let go. Mm -hmm. Dying, being a sick and awake is a struggle. So we see people hang on all the time till that baby is born, the kids go back to school, till that daughter comes in from California. So we have control. You know, um, it, 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 if you have the flu and, you know, someone comes to your door, you don't decide not to get up. But boy, if they told you there's a fire, you get up. Right. So we do have control. Um, and I think that um, when we put people back together and put them at peace, um, then they can they can close their eyes. And you, 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 you die, basically. That moment of death occurs in the deepest point of relaxation and sleep. Yeah. And so you got to get there. Right. So now you're surrounded by death uh, all day. <laughs> so how do you get rid of the energy yourself? You know, um, do you talk to anybody yourself? Like, how do you get rid of, not get rid of, but how do you release that energy that you have from talking to people who are passing? You know, I, I think people on the outside don't get this wrong. So they think that if you were to come to a place like this, we have 450 employees here. And you would think that we must be a depressed or depressing group of people. Um, actually, it's the opposite. Um, and I'll tell you why is we're privileged to see the best of humanity. So <clears throat> I bet when you care for your mother on reflection, that was, that, that was one of the hardest, best things you ever did in your life. And so what we get to go on this journey with people and see them at their finest, they stop their life. They find courage they didn't know they had. Yes. Strength they didn't know they had. Yes, that's right. Passion. They actually get to reverse their relationship. Instead of mother caring for daughter, daughter cares for mother. So um, we're uplifted. We see humor. We see courage. All of these wonderful qualities. Uh, and we sometimes see the best parts of living. We see remembrance, looking at photos, all these kind of things. So there's, there's sadness, but it's not always tragic. Right. And what advice would you give to a healthcare worker who loves their job so much, but sometimes they struggle? Well, then that, that is a case. And then we all have it when you should be talking to somebody, whether yeah. it's the rabbi or your priest or your mental health counselor. I think there's um, a lot of value in peer support. Um, so talking to people who have relatable functions in lives and jobs so that they can, you can share. 
-hmm. Obviously, verbalizing, expressing is critical as opposed to suppressing. Right. Did, thank you. Does this, did this book help with your research and getting everything out, all the work that you've done? Yeah, we published eight papers. And what the book really did was um, allowed us to tell the research in a non-researchy way by telling human stories. So those are actual people. Those are their names. Yes. Most of them were filmed. And they tell the story that our research tells, but in a much more relatable human way. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much for this. Uh, we're actually going to review this in uh, Preferred Health Magazine, and thank you for allowing us to do that. Thank you. thank you. And tell us about the documentary that you have coming out in April, please. Sure. So um, there was a full-length documentary done on us, and it's largely comprised of patients and families. Um, it was premiered here in Western New York and Southern Ontario, and it was beautifully reviewed. Um, so we're thrilled with that. It was seen by about 45,000 people. Mm. And then, um, in April, it goes onto PBS World or the World Channel. So it's on about 80% of the homes with public television, which is, or 80% of homes with television. And then it'll be digitally available around the same time. Right. Thank you so much. Dr. Kerr, are you afraid of death? Yep. Just like everybody else. Yeah. I'm less afraid of the process of death I'm more afraid of um, saying goodbye. Yeah. What do you? What's your? What do you think happens after this? After this life is over? Um, so we we deliberately do our research, not viewing it as a keyhole to look into the afterlife. So we're okay. not, we deliberately just. What's one of the problems with this is people tend to extrapolate or edit or assign meaning. And what we did was take the words and experiences of patients and just translate them. Um, where I guess I think I'm at after all these years is that there's a better story. So the most common themes that we see in our research are themes of reunion. Mm -hmm. people, the most common thing people see is their loved ones who they've lost. And when we looked, measured comfort, what made people the most comfortable, that made them the most comfortable. And those experiences increase in frequency as people get towards death. So you're left thinking there's a better story that the best parts of having lived aren't necessarily lost, um, that we're connected in yeah. wonderful ways. Um, you're reminded of that when you have a 95-year-old who you know, lost his mom when he was five, but it's her voice he hears 90 years later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's a better story. That's pretty cool. I remember my mom used to see my father because my father died um, 18 months. They died 18 months apart. And uh, she used to say, don't you see him? He looks so handsome. Oh. I'm like, yeah, he looks wonderful. <laughs> like, you look so good, dad. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, for anybody that has gone through it, you're not alone. Uh, there, there is help out there for grieving process. And hospice, if I can say, is one of the most uh, amazing lifeline that I had at that moment. Uh, so thank you, uh, Dr. Kerr, for everything that you do. Please go to YouTube and watch his TED Talk. Uh, you're, you're an incredible speaker. Oh, thank you. you. You didn't start at once. And I think, what did you say? And I actually used it in one of my programs. Uh, you said uh, there was a research done uh, uh, that people die. What is that? There's two things people die. Well, the people that fear most was, was dying in public speaking. Yeah. 
I love that. And it's, <laughs> it's very true. And you speak in front of all those people so well. So thank you so much. Please pick up uh, Death is But a Dream. Amazing, Dr. Carr. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, you're amazing. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. A huge thank you to Dr. Kerr, his team, and all hospice caretakers across the globe for all you do. Please head over to www.drchristopherkerr.com. That's drchristopherkerr.com to learn more about his research and where you can purchase his book. Thank you for tuning in to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Melissa Billy Clark. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please visit our website at melissabillyclarkshow.com. If you'd like to sponsor or be a guest, email melissa at melissaclarkshow.com. Let's make a difference together.